Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. We haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. If it's your first time, so glad that you're here. My name is JJ, and alongside my wife Liz and I, uh, we have the privilege and honor of leading our church, uh, this church, Journey Church's pastors, and we are just a little over two years old, and it is amazing to see what God has done in our community and in uh, us. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we are in week three of a sermon series that's a collection of talks that we call Legacy, and before I get into that, I just want to remind everyone that this collection of talks, this sermon series is more than inspiration, it's about destination. I believe God really wants to get you somewhere. There's nothing more frustrating in life than being stuck, amen? Whether you are stuck in a bad relationship or, or stuck at a position in your career or stuck in traffic on I-4, somebody say amen. amen. Rebuke the devil out of I-4. Um, nobody likes to be Stuck, And I don't think it's God's intention for you to be in that position. I believe he really wants to shift you and transition you. And so more than just uh, preach at you, I really want to take you somewhere. And so we actually have a calendar, some things going on at our church that are designed to help move you in a certain direction. And the first thing is actually going to take place next Sunday. This will be the last time I talk about it, but it's so important. It's Legacy Sunday on December 9th, next Sunday. If you saw the videos, if you've been here all three weeks, you know what we've been talking about. This is an offering that we give above and beyond our tithes that we don't need for the operation of the church. We have plenty of faithful givers here. We're completely going to give it away to the vision, to the vision of this church, which is missions and making an impact on the lives of people. So we're going to give it away to help rescue women in sex trafficking. We're going to give it away to help men break free from drug addiction. We're going to give it away to make sure that kids in Ethiopia have access to clean water and education and, and family. We're going to give it away so that churches can be planted in all the metro areas and rural and suburban areas. And so we're going to give it away to start a brand new college that's going to launch right here at Journey Church next year. We're going to Give it away to one day be in a permanent facility. And I love this high school. I'm so grateful for it. But we're limited in the impact we can have on the community. We love a space where we can minister uh, 24-7. We love a space for our kids. And, and, uh, and so uh, we're, we're, we're moving towards that. And we're not a, a pressure-giving church here. You know, we don't um, force you. We don't make you feel obligated or guilty. You are free to give. You're free to not give. Jesus loves you either way. Uh, but we want to encourage those who are part of our church uh, to, uh, to pray about contributing in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave that there, but please pray about it with your family next Sunday. I'm excited about it. We're also going to have free lunch next Sunday. Not for everybody, so chill out. Um, <laughs> for those who are thinking about maybe being a part of what we call our legacy team, which is a, uh, a group of individuals who love Journey Church and, and love the vision, love life change. And I got an Instagram message, a DM this past Sunday from somebody who was invited to church by his sister-in-law and brother, I'm sorry, brother-in-law and sister, and uh, just texted me. He said that he had not been at church for 10 years. It had been over a decade since he had ever stepped foot in the church. He was upset at church. Um, he was upset at, at, the, at, at a lot of things about what was going on in his life and his family. And this past Sunday, 10 years not being in church, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Showed up, showed up today at the 930 
He said, do you know me? He said, I'm, and he told me his name. I'm like, oh, man, your Instagram picture makes you look taller. Um, and thank God for filters, amen. And so he came, and he said, he said hey, he said, I want to introduce my wife. It's her first time in church, too, in 10 years. And so it's so cool what God's just doing. And I share those stories just to remind us all that what we get to be a part of, like genuine life transformation, like that couple has a son that's going to grow up in a home that's going to have peace in it. San, a mom and dad whose marriage is, is, is being repaired and restored as we speak, and all because um, Jesus died on a cross and because someone chose to sacrifice. And I'm just so thankful on their behalf. You'll never hear it from them. On their behalf, thank you. Thank you for being you, Journey Church. Give it up for yourselves. Come on. Yeah. We also got these acts of kindness cards. I wish I could show you, but I ran out and been giving them away. Um, they've got some more at the blue tent. It's a little rectangular card that says uh, something extra to let you know that God loves you and so do we. Has anybody been handing those out all across the Starbucks's and McDonald's's? And the, I don't know how you pluralize McDonald's's, but... Um, yeah, my uh, father-in-law originally was at a payway. And if you're familiar with payway, there's like a no tip model at payway because, you know, it's like a busboy model, not a really a waiter model. And at payway, it was slammed. If you've ever had payway, good food. Um, slammed. And uh, there was one busboy cleaning up all the tables. And so, and it was just a wreck. It was a mess. It was the worst experience. I just finished telling you it was good food, but it was the worst experience they had ever had. And uh, at payway, my wife was telling me, and um, my father-in-law got the card and uh, got some money and went to give it to the one busboy who was uh, taking care of all those tables. He was stressed out. He was sweating. He was running around. Looked like a, a just, just real flustered. And uh, in a restaurant where you're not even supposed to tip, I went and uh, handed him the card, gave him a real generous uh, tip, and he said, something extra to let you know uh, God loves you. And the man just stopped what he was doing. No words, silent. All he could muster up was a thank you and just stared. And my father-in-law, for so he left the rest the restaurant, just staring at him. Uh, and uh, and if you're asking why I wasn't there, okay, or else I would have given the tip. Stop judging your pastor. I wasn't there. All right, I heard the story, and uh, and he just just walks away, just walks away. Uh, my father-in-law and the guys just and and I just feel like that's the way it should be when God's love crashes in to your hell, when God's love crashes into your trial, when God's love crashes into your issues, when God's love crashes into your stress, um, you're, just, you're just stopped in your tracks to know that someone was thinking about, about you. So it's a powerful tool. And then finally, on December 23rd, you've heard it said already, Christmas at Journey. It's going to be fun. I've been trying to raise your expectations and temper them as well. If this is your first time ever uh, at Christmas at Journey, it's, a, it's, it's great. Um, but there are no live animals. There are no productions. There are no donkeys. There are no um, stars. Uh, and uh, we don't employ uh, infants uh, to... We don't do that either. And so, um, but it is going to be fun. There will be some hot chocolate. We're going to take this uh, decor even up to the next level. And I share that because it's one of the highest attended Sundays at our church outside of um, Easter Sunday, which is why I want you to begin to pray about which one of your friends, which one of your family members, um, a spouse, maybe one of your kids, you think um, could use some hope in this Christmas season. We want to be there for them. Well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew Chapter 16, if you don't have one, that's okay. We put the verses on the screen. And we've been talking about legacy and uh, leaving something that lasts when we go. And in this scripture, we actually get a window, a peek into Jesus thinking about his own legacy. And we know that because even though we're reading verses 13 through 18, in verses 21, which we won't read, he's already beginning to prepare his disciples for his departure. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. And as he's talking about his death, you can see it when you put the pieces together 
that Jesus is beginning to wonder, how will people remember me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What will they say about me when I'm gone? What will they talk about? How will they remember me? Will my kids remember me? What will they tell their kids about me? What will my friends say about me? And that's where we enter into the story, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Can you see it? What are they going to say about me when I'm gone? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I love verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And I just want to take a second to step back and give props to Jesus, who is creating for us a model of whose opinions we need to care about. Because in that one question, he creates two categories of people, the crowd and the core. And he's telling them, the crowd don't really know me. They only know me by what they think they know about me. They only know me by the stories they hear. But I spent three years with you. You see me wake up. You see me go to sleep. I don't care what the haters say. I want to know what the people who are closest to me in my life say, which is just an encouragement to you not to worry about the people who leave comments on your Instagram account. What really matters are the opinions of your children, of your husband, of your wife, of your father, of your mother, the people who know you, who really know you more than a profile photo. Come on, somebody. Who really know you more than a like. Who really know you. Those are the ones whose opinions you ought to live for, not the opinions of the people in the crowd. And Peter uh, and, and John, Simon, Simon Peter gives them the answer. Well, at this point, he's just Simon, son of John, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, say this part with me, I will build my church. Church. I will build my church. That's how you say it. And the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. I know it says will, but shall sounds more spiritual, powerful. Shall not overcome it. Tap your neighbor and tell them the title of my message. Love built this. Love built this. You know, Jesus never wrote any books. There are 66 books in this one book that we call the Bible. Jesus didn't write one of them. Didn't know if you, if you knew that or not. Jesus never painted any paintings, never chiseled any sculptures. In fact, he was a really great savior, but must have been a pretty poor carpenter because he's never built anything that lasted. We got no Jesus stools. We got no Jesus tables. We got no Jesus chairs. We got no Jesus doors. We got no Jesus homes. There's nothing that Jesus has built as a carpenter that has lasted. And I only mention that because there are so many people who try so hard to find some type of archaeological, physical, tangible evidence or connection to the historical Jesus, you know. They go on these expeditions trying to find something that, that matters, that was connected to him. And, and I experienced that myself because a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to visit Israel, the Holy Land, not the one on I-4, the real Holy Land. We went there and, and we were so excited and, uh, and we could feel the, like, the excitement and the pressure. Like everybody wanted to like, discover something that was connected to Jesus, you know? And I was really excited about it. Then I kind of got skeptical, skeptical and then I got excited again. Because as soon as we got there, the tour guide was like, you see these stones? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Jesus walked on these stones. I'm like, oh, Jesus walked on these stones. I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just trying to get the holiness in me, you know? For real though, I did like, like break branches and like put them in my pocket. And stuff. 
Everyone was like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm taking you with me, Jesus. <laughs> and then I started to get skeptical because like we went to Bethlehem. And then when we went to Bethlehem, we went to see the place where Jesus was born, which I, I believed that. I'm like, well, maybe they, you know, they remembered the building. Like, that's cool. But then in the building, they set up a tent. And then in the tent, there's a star made of like gems and diamonds and colored glass. And on that star, it says, and the, and the tour guide says, and this was the spot Jesus was born. I was like, whoa, you mean to tell me that the umbilical cord dropped right here? This was the spot? No, man, I had a hard time. Believe in that, but I really wanted to get into it because I wanted to get excited like I'm in Israel. And then, and then, then we took it a little too far. And I remember Liz and I were, were walking down the street and we saw this cat pass by. And she was like, babe, look at that cat. I'm like, yeah, it looks different, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah. She goes, what if that cat is the great, 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 great granddaughter of Jesus's cat? Babe, it's Jesus' cat. That's when we knew we were taking it too far. Because Christians don't have cats. Amen. So, um, and that's when we knew. And, and the reality, the reality of the matter is, is, if you're a cat owner, I apologize. There's a lot of other churches in Orlando you can be a part of. Um, the truth of the matter is the reason why we can't find any physical evidence uh, of, of things that Jesus built and made is because Jesus never came to this earth to build anything other than the church. It's the one thing he came to this earth to build. And I don't mean church the system. And I don't mean church the religious institution. I mean church the expression of God's love for humanity. And if that sounds a little complicated, a little tough to understand, i, I got to be honest, it, it is a little bit. But that was the only way that I could explain to Justice when he asked me where babies come from last week. i got to admit I was not prepared for that conversation. You might think, well, you must have done really great, you know, because you're a preacher. And you, but I have like a week to prepare for this. I had five seconds to prepare for that. And he's like, where did babies come from? And I'm like, well, what happened was I was like, okay, okay, um, okay. Um, I was like, see, see, your mommy and daddy love each other. And that love, then he got married. And then after they got married, I'm like trying to put it in, in order for him. <laughs> And they got married. And then once they got married, they made more love. <laughs> and that love made you. <laughs> you got to give it to me. All I had was five seconds, okay? So that love made you. <laughs> and he looked at me. He goes, so love made me? And I say, yeah, Bobby, love made you. And I thanked God because he didn't have a follow-up question. <laughs> he just ended right there. 
Love made you. You are the product of mommy and daddy's love. And, and I remember when he first came into this world, I remember that day. You'll always remember the birth of your, of your first child. And, and I remember looking at him and Liz and I kind of grabbing him and kind of dissecting which part of his body parts like belong to her and like which part of his body parts belong to me. And so they're like, oh, he's got your nose and oh, he's got my eyes and oh, he's got your ears. And we're all like, you know, separating them and stuff, which is really a lie because all babies look the same when they get born, right? Like aliens, let's be honest. It's not really a couple months until, I mean, they don't even come out looking like color, like it just takes time. And so, and so, and so they really, but why do we see those things in justice? Why? Because we're not really seeing our features in justice. We're seeing our love for one another in justice. Because I love her, I see her in him. Because she loves me, she sees me in him. And therefore, justice really is not just a product of our love, but a walking, breathing, talking reflection of our love. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross, if you didn't hear the story. And when he died, the church was born. It was the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. And because of it, the church is now a product of that amazing, unnatural, unbelievable, supernatural love for the world. But we are not called to just be a product of the love of God for humanity. We are also called to be a living, breathing, talking, walking reflection of God's love for humanity. When people see justice, it brings me so much joy. When they look at them and they go, you look like your daddy. I'm like, dang right, he looks like his daddy. And I think that when people see the church, they ought to say, you look like your father. You have his compassion. You have his mercy. You have his grace. I can see his love for humanity. I can see it in you. You want to touch something that Jesus made? Touch the chair you're sitting in. Touch the, touch the pulpit. Touch the worship guide you walked in. If you know your neighbor, touch your neighbor. <laughs> Only if you know them. Don't, if you don't, it'd be, be weird. And be like, Jesus made you. <laughs> we'll do that. We got host here, okay? We keep an eye out, right? It's dark, but not that dark, okay? Um, and so we ought to be that. And when you see the church as that, it changes the way you see this building. It changes the way you see this gathering. It changes the way you see your neighbor. But what I really wanted to preach about is how it changes the way you should see yourself to know that you are a product and reflection of the love of God for humanity. That's what Jesus was telling Peter, verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a whole lot of you in his church. And that's why some churches have problems. Because <laughs> there's a whole lot of you and me in there. One lady came up to me and said, I'm just looking for the perfect church for me and my family. I don't know if she had that accent, but <laughs> makes it sound cooler. I'm just looking for the perfect church for me and my family. I said, Keep looking. And if you find it, don't join. Because the moment you do, it will cease to be perfect. Because none of us are. This is not a, a compilation of people who have their life together. This is a compilation of people who got issues. 
who've been going through stuff, who've been hurt, who, who, who are walking with, into here with our stuff. We don't, we don't wait to get right to then come into church. We come into church to get right. And so no church is perfect. I mean, if I was God, I would have built the church with angels. It just it would have been better. Fly. Shine. Probably smell really good. I guess, I don't know. But people, why would he build a church with people? I think it's because you're a lot like this brick. I used to think that bricks were made of cement, concrete. I was wrong. I did some study, and I found out that the main ingredient in brick is really clay. Now, that's interesting. That's why it has its reddish tone. Um, That's interesting to me because of how clay is made and where clay comes from. It's natural, but it's not. Clay is found at the bottom of valleys. And the reason why clay is found at the bottom of valleys is because clay started off its journey as dirt. I'm going to try to fit the word journey in every chance I can. I don't know if you noticed. Um, Clay started off its journey as dirt at the top of a mountain. And as that dirt was on the top of the mountain, what happened was a storm hit. When the storm hit the top of the mountain, the dirt began to travel through through the rain and and the rainfall, began to travel from the top of the mountain down the side of the mountain. As it was traveling down the side of the mountain, it picked up some limestone. As it continued to travel, it picked up some calcium from the bones of a deceased animal. As it began to travel down some more, it picked up some branches, it picked up some leaves. And then finally, it gets to the bottom of the valley where time begins to combine all those molecules on a, on a chemical level. And now it makes it tougher and now it makes it stronger. But what makes clay so cool is that what made it strong was not the way it was created, but what made it strong was everything it's been through. I don't know if you see it when you see a brick, but when you see a brick, you're not just seeing a brick. You're seeing a survivor. You're seeing someone that's been through some stuff. And the reason why he's able to be strong is because of all the stuff that he's been through, which is why I just got to say, like, I'm praying for your healing, too. But what if for just a second we stopped complaining and being mad at God for allowing us to get hurt and instead maybe just one day, just one day thank him for the thing that hurt us because it's the thing that hurts us that now helps us to hold up other people in our life. And what the beautiful thing about a brick is, is, is what happens when you get enough of them together. See, if you, if you get enough of imperfect people together, if you get enough people with issues together, if you get enough people, that's cool. See, because you might find somebody who's been treated poorly by people. Someone who's always been overlooked, who never got picked first on the dodgeball team. They just always have been treated poorly by others. That's a perfect person to be on the greeter team. Yeah, because they know what it's like to treat people without respect and without love. And so you put someone like that with all of his hurt on the greeter team. And now all of a sudden he can take his hurt and he can turn it to help bless someone else's life. It's really cool when you find a mom, a single mom, or maybe a a, a mom who's just all of her children don't serve the Lord. Not one of them. Got four kids, not one of them go to church. But she can point to every mistake and every mess up that she made. And now she's committed to doing with other people's children what she wasn't able to do with her own. And she's, you know what? Put me in journey, kids, because I'm going to take every mistake. I'm going to take every failure. I'm going to take every addiction I had to prevent me from being a good parent. And I'm going to get right in place. And now I'm going to take everything that's wrong with me and use it to help hold up others. It's really cool when you get a marriage, like a husband or a wife who've been through some stuff maybe it's like their third marriage and and things went wrong but in their third marriage they found Christ and now they're treating each other with respect and you take that 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 marriage that should be in in, a crumble it should be in shambles and you make them the leaders of a journey group and now they can use everything that they went through to help other marriages get through what they're going through and all of a sudden you build something beautiful it's amazing what happens when we don't try to be perfect we just try to be together 
you know, the, the, the Bible says, because I got a little confused because I was like, man, that's cool. But because um, but, when I read it, I thought it said that Peter was the rock. I don't know if you read that. It said, and on this rock, I will build my church. And I got, and I got real kind of like, I don't know, I don't like that because I've seen things built on people before and they always crumble. I've seen churches built on the personality of preachers. They crumble when the preacher has a financial issue or he cheats on his wife. I've seen it crumble. I've seen companies crumble when the CEO, when the, it's built on his charisma and not the, not the culture of the church, uh, of, the, of the business. I've seen marriages fall when they built it on another person. When I did more research, I found out, I don't know if we can go back to the verse. verse yeah, I've seen, I did some research. Turns out that the word rock in Greek is Petra. And, 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 and Peter is not Petra. Petra is foundation. When you build a house, you got to dig until you hit rock. Nowadays, you don't have that issue. But back then, you had to dig until you found rock, solid rock that could not be moved. That's what Petra is. But Petra, although it's the word used to define rock, is not the word used to define Peter. The word used to define Peter is Petros. And so really what Jesus is making a distinction, he's, he's not saying that you're the Petra. He's saying, I'm the Petra. I'm the foundation. Jesus, I'm the one you build on. You're a Petros. Petros translates into not rock, not foundation, but stone a piece of the rock. It's great because what Jesus is saying is, I'm the foundation, you're the building material. And when you understand that you're the building material, I'm telling you, it frees you up. When you understand that you're a brick, this is what I believe. I believe there's breakthrough in coming to the realization that you're a brick. There's breakthrough in the bricks. I'm just telling somebody. Like, listen, if you struggle with self-worth, try becoming a brick. Because I went to Home Depot today and I bought one brick for 92 cents. Lady tried to charge me a dollar oh seven. I said, nope. <laughs> 92 cents, I paid for this brick. It's not worth a lot. It doesn't have a lot of value. But you put enough bricks together, you can build a home worth a half a million dollars. Right? Maybe the thing that is keeping you from feeling worth is the fact that you're trying to become someone significant instead of trying to be a part of something significant. You struggle with your potential, like maybe you feel like you've, like you've hit your limit, like you can't go any higher, no matter how much you turn, no matter how much you flip, like you just can't break through in your potential. No problem. Get in a community. Become a brick. Because if we just keep building on each other, there's no limits to the heights that we can climb to. This is the one that really freed me. Do you struggle with pressure? I know I do. The pressure to meet other people's expectations. The pressure to be successful. The pressure to, to be there for people. I'm going to tell you what, I love my job. I'm not complaining. Being a preacher is the joy of my life. But Saturday nights, I do not sleep well. Because I know somebody's coming in here, and this is their last shot at life. I know there's somebody walking in here to hear today, listening to my voice, who within the last month contemplated taking their life. And I've got all this pressure on me. And I just want to let you know, it freed me when I realized that I was not the Petra, but that I was the Petros. Because then I could, I could embrace being the brick and, and, and stop trying to be the foundation. I can't be your foundation. And you can't be the foundation of others. I sent out a, a, a social media post this past week. I said, some of your prayer requests, just random people. One lady wrote back. She said, I'm a single mom. I work two jobs and I'm a full-time student. I got a 17-year-old daughter who is crazy. <laughs> But then she followed it with this. She said, not as crazy as I was. <laughs> so she said, she said, but still crazy. I'm making just enough money to feed us, but I don't know where I'm going to get money to find rent. I've got goals and dreams I want to accomplish. I can't do any of them. Help me. This is my advice to her. I'm praying for you. But I said, you know what I think you need to do? I think you need to let go and fall on the foundation. You're trying to be something that you were not designed to be. 
You are not designed to be a foundation. You are designed to be a brick. Jesus is the only one who has the strength to hold people up. That's a good time to give God praise. You can quit. You can let go. You don't got to try anymore. You're not a foundation. And it freed me from the pressure, listen, of having to be the architect. Did you catch that? He said, I will build my church. Not you. And you got to choose. Either you're going to be the building or the builder, but you can't be both. I decided early on, I'm going to have to be the building. There's too much pressure in being the builder. I don't want to be the architect. That was Peter's, Peter's bad. Peter tried to be the architect of his life. You see, he used to follow Jesus, but then he betrayed Jesus, denied him three times. And the third time he betrayed him, Jesus was right there. The Bible says they made eye contact. They locked eyes. Can you imagine that? Person you've been following for three years, you curse them out to their face, and you think they're not looking, and then they look, and you make eye contact. Oh, the guilt. He thought he was gone. He thought he was beyond repair. He thought that his life was over, that his ministry was over. He, he was done. And we know that he thought that because in John chapter 21, verse 3, this is what he tells us. And this is what we hear about Peter's life. I'm going out to fish. Did you catch that? He goes, I'm done. I tried to be, I tried to do this church thing. I tried to do this Jesus thing and it just didn't work for me. It didn't work for me and so I'm out. And that's so many people who come to church today. They give God a chance, they experience hurt and then they leave. And he tried to leave. Look what he said when he said, I'm going fishing. The other disciples said, we'll go with you. In other words, he was getting ready to do it what? By himself. That's what sin and shame will do to you, by the way. It'll always try and convince you to isolate. He said, I'm going. I'm done trying to build something with y'all. I can't. I messed up. I'm, I'm beyond redemption. I'm going by myself. And the devil's trying to separate you from the very ones who are there to support you. I'm going. I'm out. I can't do this by myself. Gotta love Jesus, guys. We'll go with you. So they went out and got on the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And Jesus is throwing so much shade right now <laughs> because Jesus is omniscient. He already knew the answer to the question, but he's laughing while he's asking it. He's like, hey. <laughs> So you want to be the architect, huh? You want to go alone and do it by yourself? Cool, cool, just one question. How's that working for you? <laughs> Caught any fish, have you? No? Oh, okay. Just wondering. I was, I was concerned. I was concerned. Just to make sure you, you need help. And he inserts himself back into the picture like Jesus always does. You could run away from your sin. You could run away from your shame. You could run away from your guilt, but you will never be able to run away from the love of Jesus, ever. He will hunt you down. He was standing on the seashore waiting for them to find out they had failed. Already in position. Ooh, I got to work for somebody. Jesus is already standing at your next failure. Already standing at the shore of your next failure. Waiting, waiting. He says, let me get in on this. Throw it on the other side. And when they threw it, they uh, got a net full of fish. For their, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, I'm just kind of skipping. Verse 7. Just go to verse 7 because these guys are out, which means I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, so, so they got a bunch of fish. It is the Lord. Are we there? Yeah. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. Jumped in. Head first jumped in. He was so excited about it. Why is he excited? Because this is an exact reflection of Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Peter gets called to the ministry. And the first time Peter gets called to the ministry, he gets called in a miracle just like this. Peter was doing fishing. He hadn't caught nothing. Jesus said, throw your net over on that side. And he picked up so much fish it couldn't even fit in the boat. And then Jesus went to Peter and said, 
Now you will be a fisher of men. See, it was the moment he was called. And now fast forward three years later, and it's the exact same moment. Peter's not seeing a miracle. Peter is seeing the redemption of his calling. Because the exact same thing that happened before is not happening here. And this is the word that God gave me to tell someone. And I was weeping as I wrote it down in my notes this morning. And I want to write it down just like I wrote it. I want to say it just like I wrote it. He's not done with you. Peter thought he had crossed the line. Peter thought it was all over. But Jesus was there to put it back together. Oh, I love it. Some people think that we're not the right shape for God. Or that we're so imperfect that he could never use us. You gotta understand he's a carpenter and he was a poor carpenter. And as poor carpenters, what they would do is they didn't have money to buy their own material. So when they began to build things, oh, by the way, fun fact, carpenters in biblical times built with stone. The only time they used timber in a biblical home in the New Testament was for the roof. But the walls were made of stone. The walls were made of brick, but they weren't square like this. You couldn't afford these. He just had to grab what he could. And so he put stones on top of stones and each one of them was imperfect. Each one of them had a different shape, but it didn't matter. He made it work because as a carpenter, he had this thing called mortar. Does anybody know what mortar is? You might not be familiar unless you're kind of in a construction today. Today, modern day example of mortar would be compound. And I'm so grateful that my dad taught me about compound. He's a contractor. He taught me some stuff. You know, he was like, hey, here's how you change the light bulb. I was like, boom, got that. He's like, here, here's how you repair a light switch. I'm like, boom, got that. He's like, here, if your toilet ever goes out, boom. He's like, but you're gonna need this next one. I'm like, what's that? He goes, this is compound. I go, what's this for? He goes, this is for covering up holes in the wall. I go, oh man, that's really good. I didn't know that I would need that when I was married. But then we had kids. Thank God for compound. And here's what I love about compound. It doesn't matter the dent. It doesn't matter the hole. It doesn't matter the accident that caused it. Compound has the ability to cover up to cover up any mistake, to cover up any accident, to cover up any failure, to cover up any shortcoming. And so Peter was looking at Jesus saying, you can't use me, I'm not the right shape. You can't use me, I'm broken. You can't use me, I'm messed up. And Jesus said, you don't understand. I paid the price on the cross and now my sacrifice has the power to cover up any failure and cover up any mistake and cover up any sin and cover up all shame and cover up all doubt and cover up all weakness we are in the hands of the carpenter the great carpenter the great carpenter don't tell me about your past let me tell you about the carpenter who builds beautiful things out of bricks beautiful things he builds you're judging yourself by the material that you're made with not by the artist whose hands you live in give Savior chance. He'll build you. 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 Up until this point, Jesus has been doing everything. I don't know if you, if you noticed. Let's continue to read. Um, verse 8. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Yeah, he had already made breakfast for them. Jesus is doing everything in this scenario. He's catching the fish. He's making the fish. He's preparing the fish. He got the fork and knives laid out already. Verse 11, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was another third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. Big revelation there, but I'll skip it. Verse 15, 
And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I always wondered who these were. It's crazy. I've been a Christian my whole life, read that scripture a ton of times. It wasn't until preparation for this sermon that I jumped into the commentaries, jumped into the Greek, and I realized what these was all about. At first, I thought that these meant the disciples. Like, I thought Jesus was doing like a competition. It was like, do you love me more than Matthew? Do you love me more than Bartholomew? Do you love me more than Nathaniel? Do you love me more than Thomas? But then I realized that Jesus is not a God of competition, right? He's not, look, he's not asking you right now, like, do you love me more than the person next to you? You know that, right? I don't care how much they tithe, how much you tithe. Like, it doesn't, he doesn't, he's not looking at that. And as I dove into it, I realized, and the study showed, he wasn't pointing to the disciples when he said, do you love me more than these? He was pointing to the 153 fish. He was saying, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a lot of money in that, but it symbolized more than money. It symbolized a lifestyle. Remember who he was before Jesus called him? A fisherman. He was called to be a brick, but he goes back to being a fisherman. And so Jesus now has the question, do you love me more than the old version of yourself? You know, there will come a time in all of our lives where we have to answer that question. And I know this. I know this because, look, in the next verse, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. Why was Peter hurt? Because of what Jesus called him. What did Jesus call him? Simon, son of what? Simon, son of what? Simon, son of what? Simon, son of what? What happened to Simon Peter? A few chapters ago, he was Simon Peter, the rock upon which I will build my church. But now a couple chapters later, he's Simon, son of John. Why? Because Jesus is saying, hey, what do you want to go by? What the world calls you or what I call you? Because I called you Peter. But if you want to be Simon, you go ahead and be Simon. Just know that I called you to greater. But you have the choice. I want you to be a Peter. I've called you to be a brick. I want you to build something that lasts. But if you want to spend your life catching fish, hey, that's your choice. I won't force it on you. You don't have to. You can be what you want. Just know it's not what I called you to be. And I feel like there are people here today running away from what God's called them to become. Running away from the thing that God's asked them to do on this earth. Because we're afraid because we know why. If we're going to be that person that God wants us to be. If we're going to be that mother that God's called us to be. If we're going to be that, that husband, that wife. If we're going to be that friend that God's called us to be. If we're going to be that employee that God's called us to be. We know there's going to be a cost, don't we? Don't we? I've had people tell me, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. But, but they're like, but, but I know that when I do, it's going to be, and I don't know that I'm ready. I give so much respect to that person. Because at least they understand the cost, right? That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. He's like, hey, I want you to be you, but remember there's a cost. Verse 18, look. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter would be crucified on the cross upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die the way Jesus died. Are you catching this? Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be the person that I've called you to be. I didn't call you to be Simon, son of Jonah. I called you to be the brick. I want to build something beautiful with you. But before you answer the question of whether or not you're in, I need you to know, are you willing to sacrifice? It's almost bait and switch. It's almost not fair. I'm almost mad at Jesus. Almost. Because he's like, do you love me? Simon Peter's like, yeah, I love you. He's like, do you love me? He's like, I love you. He's like, do you love me? He's like, I love you. Jesus is like, die. <laughs> love, 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 die. 
It's like, what happened to all the love? Where was all the love? You were all lovey dove now you're saying, and now you want me to die? Yeah, why? Because love always ends in sacrifice. Ask the single mom who's raising four kids how much she had to give up for the love of her children. Ask that assistant football coach at, at Stoneman Douglas Memorial High School who dove in front of those students in Parkland to save their lives. When you get to heaven, ask them. He'll tell you, love always ends in sacrifice. Ask my grandma who's in heaven right now, who took care of her husband, who had Alzheimer's, mind completely evaporated, gone. He could no longer provide for the family. He couldn't make a joke. He couldn't even use the restroom on his own. And she cared for him. And she natured and she nurtured him. And she, she loved him to the very end. Why? Because love always ends in sacrifice. And so when you really love someone, you sacrifice for them. And that's the problem because we got a warped definition of love. I was doing marital counseling with a couple and they said, well, that's just the way I am. And if he loved me, he would love me for who I am. That's what the world teaches you. That's what they teach you in second grade. Find someone who loves you just the way you are. No. Find someone who's so beautiful that you love them enough to change for. That's the truth. You want to know real love? Real love isn't they love me so much, they're going to accept me for who I am. Real love is I love them so much, I'm going to work on my attitude. I love them so much, I'm going to give up a little bit of myself to them. I love them so much, and so I want, I'm, I'm calling you to sacrifice today. I'm calling you to sacrifice today. I, I want to read a story really quickly. It's a story about a teacup. I know it sounds weird, but the teacup talks in this story. But it's not weird if you've ever seen Beauty and the Beast, so just work with me. Because I, I want to end on this note. God wants to build something beautiful, but he needs your sacrifice to build it. I'm not even talking about your money, so just chill. Some of you think I'm gonna make that, I'm gonna make that push, because Legacy Sunday, no. He wants to build something beautiful. See, because there's, there's two temples. A couple used to go to England to shop in his beautiful stores. They both like antiques and pottery, especially teacups. On their 25th wedding anniversary, in a beautiful shop, they saw a beautiful teacup. And they said, may we see that? We've never seen a teacup quite so beautiful. And as the lady behind the counter handed it to them, suddenly the teacup spoke. Suspend your disbelief. The teacup said, excuse me, ma'am, you don't understand. I haven't always been a teacup. There was a time when I was red and I was clay. My master took me and rolled me and patted me over and over and I yelled, oh, leave me alone. But he smiled and said, then I was placed on a spinning wheel, the teacup said, and, and suddenly I was spun around and around and around. Stop it, I'm getting dizzy, I'm getting sick, I screamed. But the master only nodded and said, not yet. Then he put me in the oven and I've never felt so much heat. I wondered why he wanted me to burn. I thought he loved me. So I yelled and knocked at the door. I could see him through the opening of the oven and I could read his lips as he shook his head and said not yet finally the door opened he put me on the shelf and I began to cool there that's better I said and he brushed and painted me all over the fumes were horrible I thought I would gag stop it stop it I cried he only said then suddenly he put me into another oven like the first one. This was twice as hot 
and I knew that I would suffocate. So I begged, I pleaded, I screamed, I cried. All the time I could see him through the opening, nodding his head. Not yet. Then I knew there wasn't any hope. I would never make it. I was ready to give up, but the door opened and he took me out and he placed me on the shelf. One hour later, he handed me a mirror and said, look at yourself. And I did. I said, that's not me. That can't be me. It's beautiful. I'm beautiful. I want you to remember that, he said. I know it hurts to be rolled. I know it hurts to be patted. But if I had left you alone, you would have dried up. I know it made you dizzy to spin around on that wheel, but if I had stopped, you would have crumbled. I know it hurt and was hot and disagreeable in the oven, but if I hadn't put you there, you would have cracked. I know the fumes were bad when I brushed and painted you all over, but if I hadn't done that, you never would have hardened. You would have not had any color in your life. And if I hadn't put you in that second oven, you wouldn't survive for long because the hardness would not have held. Now you are finished products. You are what I had in mind when I first began. I know it sounds like a lot when I'm asking you to give me your life but I'm only asking you that because of what I know God wants to make out of you I don't promise an easy process I don't mind us a painless process but I do promise that if you put yourself in the hands of the carpenter he will make something beautiful out of your pain he will make something beautiful out of your hurt he will make something beautiful out of your divorce he'll make something beautiful out of cancer he'll make something beautiful out of bankruptcy he'll make something beautiful out of, out of debt he'll make something beautiful out of aids he'll make something beautiful rebellious child he'll make something beautiful all we gotta do is give him oh yeah our life hey but let's be honest your life right now is clay and it's not doing much as it is why not let's give it let's give the potter a chance huh let's give the kingdom a chance let's give the carpenter a chance let's see what he can make what have we got to lose church what have we got to lose our life isn't the best right now Let's give them a chance. So hey, next Sunday we're gonna have an opportunity, Legacy Sunday, where each one of us puts our brick to build a temple that will bring love, to let the world know that God loves them. But I mentioned there were two temples, did you know that? Not just the temple that we all gathered in today, but the Bible says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And here is my prayer, that God would do such a beautiful work in your life, that one day you would meet somebody who knew you back in the day you now in your homes together your hair is no longer disheveled you look like your life is finally and you got a joy a smile that you're not trying to force it just comes naturally out of you and when someone asks you how did you get to where you are you can look at them in all honesty pat yourself on the heart and say love built this love built this my marriage love built it my kids love built it my home love built it my finances love built it love built it love built it love built it every head bowed every eye closed if you are here today and you need to put your hands in the hands of the carpenter you need to put your hands in the hands of the potter you've been broken for some for some time now i want you to know you're not broken you're a brick you're a brick in the waiting you just need to throw your life the hands of the one who died for you.
so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.